0: Joining us today on the pocket mastermind podcast, we've got a man who's overcome more than his fair share of obstacles, setbacks, uh, from redundancy, mental health issues, uh, and losing the ability to walk in 2014. Uh, and if losing the ability to walk wasn't enough, his wife was pregnant with his daughter at the time and he had an 18 month old son, rather than let life defeat him, he fought back. And today he is an environmental psychologist, uh, well-being entrepreneur. Uh, working with companies to create corporate athletes. Uh, we're really looking forward to hearing about his journey uh, and hear about how to overcome any obstacle with the right kind of mindset. Lee Chambers, welcome to the Pocket Mastermind podcast.
1: Hey, it's a pleasure, Dave and Steve. Thanks for coming really on. Good mate. to have
0: you. Really, really good to have you. So there's an awful lot in there, and you've more than overcome your fair share of obstacles, as I said. Let's let's take it back. So take us on the journey from where you've been from from university. Through, through various works and, the, and, the, and what we talked about, what I mentioned in the, in the intro, through redundancy, mental health issues, losing the ability to walk uh, to where you are today, uh, running your own business.
1: Yeah, so it started, as for many of us, a relatively comfortable childhood. My parents worked hard to put food on the table, keep a roof over my head. Um, I was fairly clever and that was like identified at a young age and that meant my parents were like, you know, get yourself to university, you'll be the first one in the family to do so, we'll be really proud of you. Uh, and they gave me that kind of childhood where there was nothing particularly fancy, but we always had the simple things and we we're always looked after. So I didn't really have that many challenges through my childhood. And um, What that meant is it was kind of, it was pretty smooth and I was very, very laid back, uh, coasted through school and then kind of coasted through college while trying to find myself and enjoying the fact that you find the booze and then you uh you get your mates together and it all becomes a bit of a laugh and then yeah oh, I'm in education yeah, I need to be sensible uh, but I managed to get to university and I was so relaxed in the first year I actually missed the cutoff for moving in accommodation which kind of gives a, <laughs> gives an idea of exactly how <laughs> that's very was. relaxed <laughs> um So I I did my first year, I was traveling on the train and that wasn't too bad to be honest, but then I went into my second year, moved in, uh, enjoyed moving in, getting my own independence, uh, started joining university societies, gained a few hobbies and that was quite enjoyable. Uh, But then I went back after Christmas and started to struggle a bit. I chalked on a presentation in front of my whole year in a massive lecture theatre and I just started to struggle to transverse that moving from being a child to an adult, and I didn't really have the emotional intelligence as a young man who hadn't really been given much of an example of how to be a man. And society back then, well, there was kind of ideas, but there wasn't like places where you could go to get advice. There wasn't those kind of places. And was, I didn't have the self-awareness to really dig into myself and find out who I authentically was that kind of put me on a bit of a downward spiral. So I started having some mental health struggles, started to isolate myself, started dropping off, dropping off the things that I was doing. I then lost my job that I was, had been funding me for university. And yeah, I was having a bit of a difficult time. And it led to me isolating myself in my dorm for two weeks. I ended up missing some exams uh, and being taken home by my mum and dad and failing that year. So that was kind of the first time I hit a real like pothole in my life and mm-hmm. I fell straight in it. No, what, really
0: what, feeling... what did it feel like then at that time? What, what was your outlook? What, did it, what, what were you thinking?
1: Yeah, it was difficult because I kind of knew it was going down, but I just mm-hmm. didn't feel like I had the knowledge, all the tools, all the support to deal with it. So I just kind of let it happen and just struggled to take ownership. And obviously at the point of getting taken home, I then realized I'd failed the year and mm-hmm. I had to think, right, okay, so do I want to go back? To be honest, I did and my parents wanted me to as well. So I resat that year from home and gradually built myself back up. But that was like the first challenge that I had. And obviously I struggled, but that gradual process of building myself back up helped me take a bit of ownership over it and say, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna graduate, I've started, I'm going to finish. And that led to me, you know, starting to bolster myself and get my fortitude up. And I actually then managed to graduate which was an achievement in itself, but it felt like validation of really mm-hmm. pushing on and trying. And I went for three interviews for three different graduate jobs, one in England, one in Holland and one in France. And I got the British one, which was a finance pathway grad scheme that would take me into financial advisorship, which was obviously something that I wanted to do. The fact that I could balance my lack of statistics and numbers and my enjoyment of helping people. And I kind of, Went then and thought, you know, it's probably the career for me I can get professional qualifications. I can get myself a good career and build a CV up and hopefully money's not going away anytime soon. So this should be something that's, you know, looking like a long-term career that I can develop. And then I obviously went into that job. It was September 2007 and things seemed to be all right. Everything had been going up for years and years and years, mm-hmm. six months in and the credit crunch really bit. And they pulled me in and said, your financial advisory qualifications that we're going to put you through, you've been pulled, we don't have the funding. And I was like, it's a bit of a blow, to be honest, I'm, I'm going to have to find that money myself. And you're not exactly paying me a lot of money as a, as a new graduate. So I was a bit like, seems a bit harsh. Uh, but then the week after, suddenly a lot of the people above me, their boxes on the desk. And I was like, oh, wow. oh. This is, this doesn't look good. So to find out that, you know, like 60% of the staff above me had been made redundant. And I was like, oh man, right. Okay, this is, this is probably only going one way. And it was a week later that I got pulled in and given the same news. So that really left me there, you know, 21, back living with my parents and like, right, what am I going to do? This whole idea that I had of this career that I'd let, I'd have out in front of me, the professional qualifications, and the kind of progression through the company all taken away over the course of a few weeks and at first I felt you know that's not fair I've grafted for six months to try and prove you know I'm the graduate you want to keep on because there's another 18 coming in in September so it's like it's, a, it's quite cutthroat out there and I tried hard and suddenly it's like oh sorry external circumstances say no so we say no to you and uh, like I said I was quite angry But then that kind of started to switch towards thinking, right, so I went through mental health challenges. I started to take ownership of them and I got through and graduated. So this opportunity, I'm not going to see it as a threat. I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm going to say, right, it's fair enough. Companies will do what they need to do to survive. So if I do my own qualifications, pay for them myself, choose what I want to do, and I set up a business, choose what I want to do, control that. Destiny's in my own hands i've taken ownership of both my professional qualifications and my career and that'll allow me to guide my life and direct it so again i kind of thought if i if i grasp it by the neck choose my direction do it myself then i only have myself to blame if it doesn't go the way that i want it to
0: and do you do you remember what what it was really feeling at that time because it's i guess you you look back with it in hindsight and you can you can now articulate it but at the time do you remember fee, do you remember how long it took you to really start to think actually i'm going to uh, attack this and and take ownership like you just said
1: yeah i think it, it, the first week i was pretty mad in <laughs> <And> the first <laughs> week i was like what am i going to do because it, it swung between the frustration of having it taken away and the, the desperation of, mm-hmm. right, what am I going to do? Because I've not fought this far. <laughs> I'd not, I didn't think this was going to happen. And I'd not really planned for it to happen. So as you were swinging from frustration to desperation, somewhere in there came a bit of inspiration. Mm-hmm. And in that second week, I was like, right, okay. Yeah, this is kind of like, this is part of the journey. Like, again, I've been through one challenge. This is just the second puzzle. I'm going to go into at least another 10 in my life. But it's how I climb back out of the pothole to carry on the journey. I'm not just going to fall into it and just give up. Mm -hmm. So it was in that second week where I started to think, right, okay. So I'm in a good position. I'm still living with my parents in the back bedroom where I kind of uh, thinking I've not got many overheads so I can go and get another job. So I went and applied for a job at the local council where my dad worked and that helpful connection got me in there in efficiency management which is a much easier job than working out in the corporates Mm -hmm. as it naturally is in the UK and probably in most other places. But that gave me the capacity to look to set up my own business. So I tried a few different ideas. They didn't work, but I stumbled upon realizing actually I can work in the wholesale video game market online, move games around and make money while doing it. And it takes, you know, a few hours before work, a few hours after work and a bit of time on my dinner. And gradually over the course of a year, I built up to six figures of revenue while working the job. And it was like, okay, so this is now giving me the finance and the flexibility to start learning and doing my professional development. So I was like, what do I actually want to do? Started to think to myself, well, I want to look after myself and I want to understand my body better. I'm really interested in physiology. So I signed up for a human performance nutrition qualification, took six months, did that, then thought, right, what next? went and did strength and conditioning training. So up to level four again, another six months through. And then I was like, right, so what can I do with this? So I started doing my football coaching badges, did level one, did level two. And I was like, okay, so this is great. This is like, can, I can learn new things. I've got the flexibility to do it and the finance to pay for all this. Had you, had, stopped,
0: of- had you stopped working at the council at this point? Were you just running the other business?
1: No, because I stayed at the council for three years. Wow. I, so I worked them alongside, <laughs> so you were doing
0: my- qualifications and two jobs, basically, concurrently. Yeah.
1: And in the big scheme of things, at this point in my life, I managed to buy my first house after mm-hmm. 18 months of running the business, just because it was bringing so much residual income in, which was great. Um, but I was, you know, I was, I was young, I was single for this first section of it. I just had the time. And it mm-hmm. didn't feel like when you're investing time in your own business, it doesn't really feel like work.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: job wasn't taking that much out of me. So it just I just had the time to do it. And I really put my head down and kind of got on with it and started building things. And it feels fulfilling when you're building something that you're doing yourself. Uh, but after three years at the council, I took redundancy, just knowing that I really didn't need the wage and I wasn't being challenged. Uh, and I went working in a company which helped people who were unemployed find the direction they wanted to move in, help them build the confidence up, and build a portfolio of interview skills that they could then go and deliver and interview uh, coherently and mm-hmm. really get across their strengths. So again, I did that for six months and that was really fulfilling because I was helping people who didn't really know what they wanted to do. They wanted to go back to work, but they didn't know what they wanted to do. They were, they were usually low on confidence and had faced challenges in the past. And it was like helping them look at the challenges and thinking, well, actually it's part of your journey and That's giving you a clear idea what you wanted to do. How can you stand in front of these people and say, I'm the person for the job. I can do this and really helping them and getting those people into work. It felt really good.
0: So on that, there's there's probably going to be a lot of people, potentially a lot of people facing exactly that scenario in the coming months. Right. There's, we, we know that, this is the kind of the calm before the storm in the in the current situation. And, and it's likely there will be people facing that. What can you say to, to people in that situation? Because I think, you know, it's not uncommon. A lot of people get made redundant and then have no idea what they want to do next. Where's a good starting point for them?
1: Yeah, I think the real, the biggest thing that I kind of looked at is to, to really grasp an idea of what you want to do. And having that space and time to reflect and actually think and look back on your experiences, your life so far, the hobbies that you've got, the friends that you've made. What is the thing that ties all these things together? Because so often there's an underlying thread throughout Mm. your life, from your childhood, through your past. And quite often we just go along with the waves of the tide and just follow what happens. We fall into jobs, we fall into relationships and we don't always really grasp it and take ownership and accountability and choose the path that we want. So sometimes redundancy, while it can be devastating, it can be upsetting and it can change people's lives, sometimes it's like, it's literally falling into that massive pothole. But then peeking your head out and getting a perspective on what direction do I want to go? Have I been going in the wrong direction? Is the job I've been doing actually fulfilling? Is it something that I want to do? Because again, while we're in a world full of challenge at the minute, it's a world full of opportunities for people to really start looking and thinking, okay, so what's the difference do I want to make? What does the world need? Can I, can I do something that fits my strengths, fits my passions and makes me money? And if you can, then that's great. Or you can try and find a way to monetize and actually look and think, okay, so these are the things that I enjoy. These are the skills that i've got this is the kind of place that i would want to work because more importantly now it's not necessarily about the technical skills that you've got but the type of company you want to work for that they resonate with your values does that company have a purpose that matches yours if it does you'll feel happy working there because you're working for the bigger picture you're working for what they stand for it's really difficult to go in into a company and like you really but well, you don't believe in the management you know, you've not got hope. I mean, when they look at this research about how hope for the future affects workers' engagement, if your manager fills you with hope, there's a 68% chance you'll be engaging your job and actually making a difference. If your manager doesn't fill you with hope, there's a 1% chance. So if your manager doesn't fill you with hope, the leadership doesn't communicate what the company stands for, then it's no surprise that many people are just... They're not engaged in the work. They're not passionate about it. They're not really wanting to push, be innovative and creative.
0: It's great advice to just take that little bit of time just to really give it some thought. I think it's, it's very easy and understandable to have a knee jerk reaction to quickly, you know, shit, I need to get another job, but, um, it is important. So It is it's a great opportunity to really think about what you want from life. So then, Talk to us, where did you go from that point, from from that role?
1: Yeah, so from that role, I took six months there and enjoyed it. But the opportunity came about to use my qualifications. So I managed to sign up to an elite sports performance agency and they would put you on placements with work. So I got placed out in a number of football clubs and a rugby club Mm -hmm. over the course of six months, which really opened my eyes to what it's like in the world of elite sport, the amount of money that's spent for the marginal performance gains how the on the cutting edge of things everything is experimented with to on a macro on a micro level and that really opened my eyes to what elite performance is and how much is invested in that and I've got to rub shoulders with interesting people at the same time however it started to make me think if this money and effort was spent on normal people what a difference it would make to the health outcomes, the positivity and the happiness of a lot of people rather than making one person run a little bit faster or one person, you know, be a little bit better on a Saturday afternoon. So it kind of, in many ways it opened my eyes, it changed my worldview, but it did give me a certain edge in understanding how to take performance and distill it and really empower people to push those boundaries that we all set ourselves because our potential is unknowable but we like to think that it's capped and that you know we we can't possibly do any more we've pushed it all we can there's always a bit more to give Uh, and it was at that point uh, then I went through my own challenge which really pushed my own boundaries uh, as I went from completely mobile fully independent working running the business to losing the ability to walk and being stuck in a hospital bed in less than a week.
0: And how did that happen?
1: I mean, it was, it was, it started on a Friday, uh, my wrist locked in place. So it's, it's just swell up and mm-hmm. locked. And I was like, okay, so maybe I've just spent a bit too much time typing this week and I was going to rest it over the weekend and hope it gets better. Had you uh, ever
0: had anything like that before?
1: I'd never had anything like that before. And I was kind of like, I was having a joke with my brother on the Saturday, like, yeah, maybe this is carpal tunnel, come early. (laughs) You know, I played too many video games when I was 10. (laughs) But but then, like, in all seriousness, I went out for a meal with my family and some friends on Sunday. And when I tried to get out of the car, when we were back at our house, my knee had locked in place. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, okay, this isn't great. I'm like, right, I need to go to the doctor's on Monday. So... Monday day comes and I hop hop along to the doctor's. They give me some corticosteroids, and the doctor's like, "Yeah, there's quite a lot of swelling on that. Um, these will make it go down. If, if you have any more problems, give me a call, and we'll you know we'll, we'll help you out." Um, so I started taking these, thinking, "You know, you, you I'm twenty I'm twenty nine. I'm male. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm fairly bulletproof. I'll be fine. This will this will go away. I'll be right." Only for Tuesday, my shoulder to suddenly start rising towards my ear. Really unlocking place. <laughs> so then I'm one arm down, one leg down, and I'm like, oh man, this is uh this isn't great. But I'm still thinking, like, oh, this medication will sort me out by, by next <laughs> Friday, everything will have gone away. I'll be absolutely fine. Wake up on Wednesday morning, my other knee starts to lock. My mother in law comes around and takes one look at me and says, A and E, stop being silly. That's it. Pulls put like literally pulls me out of the house <laughs> and takes me off to A and E. So I'm there sat in A and E, like, oh, this is this isn't where I want to be right now. I've got business to run. Um and then I get taken through. Consultant looks at me for about two minutes and then just like shakes his head and says, right, straight through to the back. Get like pulled through the hospital up onto a ward. And I'm like, oh man, okay. So this isn't uh, this isn't great. But I started to I was in a lot of pain by this point. So I was I was in a hospital bed both knees locked, shoulder locked, wrist locked, odd morphine and tramadol and not really knowing what, what no. the future is going to bring. No. And it's like, wow. Okay. So this is probably going to be quite challenging because I, I don't know what's going to happen. And obviously you start to be like, why me? Like I was fit. I'm healthy and I can't like show myself. I can't eat properly. Like it seems a bit unfair.
0: So what was, what was the diagnosis?
1: Um, so, what actually happened is my immune system was attacking the connective tissue in my joints. Right. So, it was effectively treating them as if it was some kind of infection. Mm-hmm. And some parts of the tissue, so in both my knees, my shoulder, and my wrist, it just fully unattacked them. So, I had like a quarter of a pint of fluid on each of my knees. Like a size, they were like size four footballs. Uh, they actually drained that off with a, with a massive syringe in front of me. Like, oh. And this like uh, strange milky fluid. It was like, oh, oh horrible <laughs> Not pleasant. I don't, want, I don't want anyone to ever have to, you know, have needles stuck in their knees. It's really not nice. Nah. Um, any
0: idea, so any idea what, what brought that on?
1: Um, so no. I mean, it, they did an awful lot of testing in my in hospital. They thought that I might have had an infection that had got lodged in my joints. And then my body's kept going around, kept going around. And then one cell spotted it and gone for it. Mm-hmm. They thought it was that which is called reactive arthritis. But if it is that, then you have that initial flare up and then you recover. What happened is my immune system, it just kept attacking it and attacking it. So I never actually got a full diagnosis, but it's a type of autoimmune arthritis Mm -hmm. that I've got where my immune system is like, effectively attacks certain tissues in my joints. Um, So yeah, I was there. My wife was six months pregnant, just about to finish work come in after work to come and shower me and look after me uh she'd moved back in with her mom and dad so that she could do that and my son was 18 months he just wasn't old enough to understand mm-hmm. what was going on while my daddy was stuck in hospital um and it was a really really challenging time um and again at first I was I was struggling grieving for my, for my mobility and my independence i Gone so quickly from everything to nothing. But then that gradually catalyzed into again thinking all these people helping me now, this free healthcare, just the ability to walk, taking all that for granted before. All these opportunities of living in the first world, all the free things, the education, the healthcare, being able to set up a business without restriction, all the different job opportunities, and just all my friends and family who actually are here caring for me right now helping me in my moment in need. And I was like, I've been ungrateful for all that. I've just been so busy working and building businesses and focusing on myself. that I completely lost view of the bigger picture. So that started to make me feel grateful and made, it, made me start to feel right. So I took ownership of my mental health issues. I took ownership of my redundancy. I'm going to take ownership of this disease and attack it as much as it's attacking me. And I'm going to get back on my feet And not long after I'd been discharged, my daughter was born and I was dragging myself to physio, to rehab, to hydrotherapy, to get back walking properly again. And I was like, those mornings where I was in a lot of pain, I was stiff. I didn't want to do my physio exercises. I said to myself, by the time she's walking, I'm going to be walking as well. I'm going to be running around the garden with my kids. I'm not having it any other way. And that power of why, that real burning desire to make that happen, pushed me on. When it was hard, and that kind of proactive mindset of saying, you know, I'm gonna, gonna be there. i if I don't if I don't believe I can, then I won't. I'm not gonna sit here and all my medication's gonna fix me. And I'm gonna take, you know, accountability and that personal responsibility to say, my health outcomes are my responsibility. The illness is an external thing that I can't control. I'm gonna have it for the rest of my life, so I may as well make the best of what I've got, get the best health outcomes and live on my terms.
0: And so how long was that period from, how long were you in hospital first of all? And then what did, what was it like when you first came out? What was, what was, what was life like for you at that point?
1: Um, so I was in hospital for a month when I finally got discharged. I was it's very difficult to describe what it was like, but my friend said I was, what my walking, I was a like, little like a frog. I think one one of them said I looked like a frog, and another one said it looked like I'd crap myself. So <laughs> you know, good old lad banter. It gives you something yeah. <laughs> much I was struggling, but I couldn't I couldn't walk properly. So I had to adapt to so many different things that I did. Like I was struggling driving, even though I had an automatic. And there was just so many things that I had to, you know, acclimatize to. Mm and adapt to, like when I was changing my daughter's nappy, I'd have to put her on the sofa. Couldn't get onto the floor to do it because I couldn't get back up again. And it's just little things like that that I remember that just, and that initial period, that first six months, it was really difficult. After six months of, you know, physio, hydrotherapy, really helped get me back on my feet. I had some issues then with, I wasn't walking properly. My gait was compromised. And that led to some of my lower lumbar vertebrae starting to compact together, which was incredibly painful, and put me back in physio to make sure that I was walking as good as I could and actually alleviating that. So it was 11 months when I walked a mile and 80s, and that was like a really like big milestone. When I did that and I stood there and I was like, right, if I can do this, then what else can I do? You know? my potential is there I, I'm back on my feet I've made it and then like a few weeks later my daughter was walking so it was like you've made you you've met you've done it even before you said you're going to do it and, and look like the power of why is massive when you've got a reason to do it you'll get up and do it and that kind of proactive mindset about thinking right I need to be resilient because it's going to be challenging but if I go and try to do it if I really take it, take the reins then you know, the possibility is always there. Are you always going to make it? No, but will you make it if you don't try? Never.
0: That's nice, great. And how do you handle the, there must've been ups and downs throughout that whole year, right? You think, Oh, I'm making some progress. And then you get up the next day and maybe you feel worse than you did before. And how do you, how do you keep coming back from that reminding yourself to keep going? Cause I think, that's one of the hardest bits isn't it? you can make the decision right let's go but when you keep getting slapped in the face over the course of 12 months or so then that's how that that's the difficult bit bit isn't it to keep going
1: yeah and i, and I think again it's like i really see like life is like an ecg so it's continually up and down up and down up and down up and down and if you look at your life in a big picture well, that's kind of what it's like got good times your bad times The seasons come, seasons go and you're always going to have a summer and a winter. And I kind of, because I see life like that on a, on a, on a micro level, that's how my recovery was. It was up and down, up and down. And I kind of, because I kind of have that mindset and that acceptance that life's not a straight line up. It's constantly full of lumps and bumps. It zigzags. Sometimes it goes off the scale completely, but you're generally going to get yourself back to some level and back to, Some better, and some of this stuff from the elite athletes the the compounding effect of very small changes just made me think that if I compounded these small changes and actually did what I needed to do, then sometimes the measurement is by how you feel, but the measurement of how you feel isn't always the greatest measurement. Because I sense to say that if you just do what you feel, you'll never really get to where you want to be, but if you decide you're getting somewhere and have that identity, then take the actions based on where you want to go, your feelings will come afterwards. So for so many people, it's like, I don't feel like doing that. So you don't take the action and you don't become the person you want to be. Well, I thought if you flip that and decide who you want to be, take the actions you need to be to become it, you'll then feel good about it. You won't be worried about not feeling like you don't want to do it. So I kind of, when when I got my head around that, it was like, okay, so this week has felt, Awful, but you know what? It's just on the dip, and I'm going to come back even stronger, bounce higher on the next one. So I just need to keep going, and it's kind of understanding that it's not always how you feel because it's easy to be quite blind to the progress that you're making when you're in that challenge.
0: And how do you, how did you break down the journey for the recovery? You know, the the road that lay ahead for you, going from not being able to walk and, and your movement really restricted to knowing, right, I'm going to, w- I'm going to walk by the time my daughter's walking. But how do you break, how do you break that down? Cause it's like, look at sun at the bottom of a mountain and staring at the peak and thinking, how the hell am I going to get there? How do you yeah. psychologically approach that kind of challenge?
1: Yeah. So I, I suppose what I kind of did is I saw me back on my feet walking again. It's like a massive statue of me walking. And then when I was there, initially, I stood there with my legs, like, crabbed, with a massive sledgehammer and smashed that statue into 365 pieces, those tiny little fragments that I can do a little bit every day to get better. And some days I could possibly do three. On the worst days, I won't even be able to pick up one fragment and do it. I kind of said to myself, I've got 365 days of recovery until she walks. If I can... That, that massive goal of being on my feet looks like this towering statue, This, like you said, this towering peak that at the moment, I'm at the bottom, I'm nowhere near. But I said, you know what? Treat it like 365 base camps. Treat it like 365 pieces of this statue. And in those little bite-sized chunks, you can take a few. Some days when it's really bad, you'll not do any, but you'll still feel like you're making progress if you look at it like that if you kind of take it in an actionable way and understand that there are going to be times when you don't get anywhere, you don't feel like you're getting anywhere, but understanding that because we're so physiologically and psychologically complex, sometimes you're making a lot of progress. You just don't see it.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's just
1: accepting that.
0: Did you set yourself, um, like mini targets along the way like are going to be able to do X by certain amount of time?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the big thing is when you're doing physio, Not only do you get the tangible understanding that you're... So take the flexion on my knees. So the physios would measure that by an angle to see how far I could bend my knee out in a straight direction. And I was always like, next time I go back, I know if I do my exercises, I'll get another degree. Mm -hmm. Another degree. And if I can get enough degree by degree by degree, I won't end up with full flexion deformity where I can't fully bend my knee. And it was things like Literally, at first, it's like steps taken, and then it's like how many times I can squat in the hydrotherapy pool with all the weight taken off because of the water. And there's lots of things that can be measured that are tangible, and that kind of understanding the process through recovery, you start to make your own plans. You start to see the difference, and you know that you start to become quite. When you're in pain every day, it starts to become quite acute. To what's hurting more, what's hurting less, what's stiff, what's not. And when you really listen to your body and pay that attention, you start to get messages that are telling you it, it's getting better, it's going, it's gradual, but it's there. And if you kind of add that to the numbers and the things that you can measure, plus the feelings that you can't measure, then you start to feel that, yeah, I am making that bit of progress. Yeah, I can stretch that a bit further. Yeah, you know, we're, we're looking at three, four more steps before... I've had it, but that's massive. That's a meter. That's another five squats in that pool or another length of the pool walked. And suddenly it does start to add up. And because you get that progress, it just qualifies the hard work that you're putting in. It qualifies the times when you don't want to, and it feels hard. And again, I suppose it's like, if you take that from elite athletes, they're pushing it just that bit more all the time to get that bit better. And we don't really get taught that in life. So I say kind of take the aspects from that and the aspects from pushing myself outside of my comfort zone before. And just the challenges that I've had now I've kind of taken them personally and decided to run with them myself and all that together kind of made a mindset that's helped me recover.
0: And where are you at, to, where are you at today with your, with your health?
1: Um, So I'm about to come off a medication, having optimized my nutrition, my sleep and my movement, experimenting over the years to get to the point where I'm now controlling it by lifestyle alone. And that's a massive thing for me because my medication was dampening my immune system. Mm -hmm. So it didn't attack me. And that's obviously from a long-term perspective, uh, the medication is cytotoxic, so it kills certain cells. So it's really not particularly pleasant medication to take. It's not good for your overall long-term health. So that's really important for me. and my mobility wise, I can walk for miles, um, probably probably five, six miles before I'm, I'm done, which is great because that just allows me the ability to walk around. Uh, I play disability football and coach as well. So that kind of allows me to put, get my competitors' side out of it, but also help people who are going through similar challenges really make a bit of a difference in my community. Um, and I recently started boxing. So the principle behind that was I still have a bit of a disconnect between my arms and my legs. Mm -hmm. So I'll be walking along, walking along, and suddenly my arms will be out of sync with my legs, which makes you feel funny. You start to lose your balance. Mm -hmm. So I was speaking to my consultant and she was like, well, exercises where you implement like movement with both your arms and your legs in a coordinated fashion. So she was like, "How about dancing?" I'm like, "No." Um, and then she was like, <laughs> "Was that was never like, a thing before?" <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh, I, I I can dance, but I can't dance." <laughs> yeah. So I'm quite I'm quite loose. I can pull a few shapes after a few drinks, but <laughs>
0: or at least but, you think you can.
1: Yeah, but but there's there's no fault work going on. I'm not. I'm definitely not going to end up on strictly at any point like, <laughs> um, And then I was. Then she was like, "Okay, maybe maybe not dancing. How about boxing." I was like, "Boxing? Yeah, I quite like boxing." So I got into to the local boxing gym uh, and just kind of work on my footwork and my arms together. And that's made a difference already, meaning that I very rarely have that kind of out of, out of synchronization. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, physically, I've, I still have to make adaptions and there's still things that I can't do. But I'm happily accepting of that because my quality of life is is amazing. And one of my friends said recently, like, you're like the fittest one of us. Mm. And you've got all these problems. <laughs> So yes, yeah, I still go to the gym and do as much as I can, lower body wise, and plenty upper body, just in case I have problems again. I've got a strong enough upper body to utilize in any way that I need to.
0: And what did you do diet wise? I'm really in. I'm I'm fascinated by the whole because you are what you eat in the whole and all of that stuff. And I'm, Oh yeah. I think it gets so overlooked, but for, to be able to control a condition like that through lifestyle is a great message, really. It's quite powerful, I think. So I'd be interested to know what you've done.
1: Yeah, well, if you can imagine, I've got a bunch of journals from a period of my life where I literally dissected my diet into individual foods. So I would eat something, see how I felt initially, then half an hour, then two hours later. I was taking things in and out for two years, isolating. And what you end up with if you do that, and you're really strict and record it all is a list of foods, which energize you a list of foods, which you can tolerate and a list of foods, which drain you. And by doing that, I've identified exactly what works for me because we're all bio individual and we've got our own epigenetic expression, our own enzyme makeup, our own gut microbiome. What works for one person is probably awful for another person because Mm -hmm. we're all so different. And really, it's about experimenting like a scientist with a lab coat on to find what works for you, what makes you feel energized, what makes you feel drained. Just try to cut out all the foods that make you feel drained. And again, some people can tolerate stuff so much more than others. And we're starting to get into that world now where people are able to identify intolerances. Obviously, 10 years ago, no one no one had gluten intolerance, no one had lactose intolerance, no one, you know, they didn't sell these things and all of a sudden there's a massive free-from range. It's as we become more sensitive to what works for us and what doesn't, well, why don't you just take that experiment a step further and find out exactly what works for you? And yeah, with my clients, I'm like, I don't expect you to take this process of two years of taking stuff in and out and recording it because that's quite, that's on the extreme end but for me, it was something, it was a personal quest to get off medication and to get the best health outcomes I could. Whereas for my clients, for example, for them, it's just trying to get them into a place where they take small nutritional changes by becoming more aware of how what they eat affects them. It may, helps them make better choices, which then compounds over the time to you know help them to lose weight, to change the body composition, and just to change their attitude with food a little bit to see how what you eat actually affects your performance. It affects how you feel. It affects your mental health. And it just affects how you approach life. And we saw interconnected body and mind-wise and with 90% of our serotonin receptors being in our gut. Well, that as a neurotransmitter, that really has a massive impact on your mood. What you eat affects your mood and then your mood affects so many other things. So it's like, it's really compounding and it's just helping people understand that Take it as a nutritional experiment. You're one big experiment yourself. Do that with your sleep. Do that with your eating. Do that with your movement. Find what, exactly what works for you and start to look at how you can build your habits to change it a little bit and have a mindset that understands that little changes turn into big changes. And you can go from being someone who's not switched on to any of these things to suddenly performing 100% better just by adapting and thinking in that way.
0: And what were the what were the the big changes that worked for you? Were there any, were there any uh, particular food types that, or food sources that really you found made a big difference for you personally?
1: Yeah. So if you take some, some things, uh, peppers, for Mm. example, made me actually feel like my joints were swelling up. Oh, really? But you'd never, you'd never realize that if you didn't take them in and out. because obviously you quite often eat peppers as part of a bigger meal. Mm -hmm. never really eat peppers on their own and i have some issues around onions and it's it's like you don't really realize these things until you go really deep in Mm -hmm. and obviously like i've got some resistance against certain things like i get energized off dark chocolate but milk chocolate is like the opposite Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and it's like then you start to think well what what's in there that's causing it. So you're starting to look and dissect the ingredients and realize that, yeah, it's quite often the sugar. So I, I do limit the amount of sugar that I eat because I know that there's a. If I, if I eat too little, I don't feel great. If I eat too much, I feel awful. So again, it's kind of finding that middle ground, certain things that you tolerate well in moderation. Because in so many ways, moderation is great, but no one ever knows what moderation means. <laughs> you, yeah, have sure. mo- you have to find your own moderation. Uh, I can't drink much alcohol. That really doesn't help. Um, so I remain sensible with that and have the occasional drink every now and again. Um, but yeah, it was kind of looking at the bigger picture. Um, I'm okay. On, I'm okay on bread, up to a certain amount. And it's just utilizing that to understand yourself, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's only a few things that really set you off. But if you eat them all the time, you won't feel great. It's
0: true. So you touched a little bit about working with your clients. Talk to us about how you've taken all of these learnings and all of the experiences you've had now to 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 start your own business and working with companies to, as you as you put it, to create corporate athletes. Um, I think that's really interesting. So.
1: So we kind of, it takes two separate dynamics. So we take leadership and management teams and help them understand how having a culture that looks across a whole stakeholder range and having a purpose driven company with conscious leadership then helps staff to engage and helps them to take more responsibility for their health because it's very easy for me to go in and do health awareness workshops with employees but if they don't feel like the leadership team cares like their company is a place where their health is valued and they're much less likely to go home and operate those behaviors Um, so we do the kind of cultural awareness and the work with the leadership to really embed well-being into business processes Mm -hmm. Because well-being shouldn't be something that's come and sticks onto the side of a business as a plugin. It should be inbuilt from within. So there should actually be a culture of care to the staff They want to develop the staff, They want to help the staff become and reach their own potential and know that staff have the answers and all the employees actually have what they need inside of them. It's a. It's really the purpose of business to help them access that and get it out so they can perform at high level in the business. And then we actually go and implement that from the top and then start to look, coming from the side, really. So we take individual departments, we work with them, and it's an integrated framework, because what we found is if you focus just on nutrition or just on mental health awareness, it doesn't connect the dots. It's like, look, taking a single pill, like big pharma does, take a single pill, isolate one symptom, 10 side effects because it's such a interconnected system. So you fix one thing, but you knock another 10 things out. So what we actually do is we have an integrated way of helping people become aware of how their sleep, nutrition, and movement affects them physiologically and how that connects to the psychological elements of your mental health and your mood. But we also build into that how to how to change your mindset towards these things and how to build small habits. Because what we find is you can give people all the awareness and the empowerment to move forward, start to help them transfer the responsibility for themselves. But if they're looking at it and they think, I can't turn this into a consistent habit, it doesn't stick. It doesn't embed. Because we also have to work with the leadership and the management to help them embed it within the business. So the people are not only getting it themselves, getting it from home, they're getting it in the business as well. So it's quite a complex process. But to bring it all together, it actually makes lasting inactionable actionable change that can be measured and that can actually be planned. And that kind of then helps with a strategy within the business and people taking it home and actually running with it. And the whole purpose is ultimately for people to go into work well, to leave work well, and then when they're well, they've got more capacity to be happy, more energy to do the things that they love and more time to give to the world around them.
0: And so what's the starting point? How long and how long do you normally on average work with a company? Do you go in and then it ends a process of assessment? Talk us through how that works.
1: Yeah, so you go into a company there's there's initial assessment. As you can imagine different sizes of company, different industry and different company cultures mean that the starting point can be quite varied. Mm-hmm. And really it's then kind of tailoring it into what that company needs. Now initially, if I go in and say I'm gonna do the, I'm gonna come along and do these assessments, you have to be, you have to frame it in a way that benefits a business. So you have to go in there and ultimately sell it to the board, explain how that interconnected framework actually boosts productivity, it boosts performance, it reduces sickness and absenteeism, it helps staff retention, it gets you a reputation of caring for your staff, which then in turn helps you attract better talent as the industry, they always speak to each other and say, it's a good place to work. It's not a good place to work. Mm -hmm. And just overall kind of helps people to be more innovative and creative, and just engaged in the job. Um, So once that kind of sold, you always get someone who says, what's the return on investment in this? Mm -hmm. So then you have to pull out the studies which show the return on investment is five pounds for every pound spent on wellbeing strategy. That's when you're looking at like cookie cutter strategies brought in. I do Sport strategy and bespoke strategies can return up to 32 pounds for every pound spent. So the potential is there. It's, it's massive and you help express that. So you get, you go in, you get your assessment, you get your baseline, you then work with the leadership, and the management to see and assess what level they're at in terms of culture, the processes, how they can be, change you speak to HR to contract and decide what's happening in terms of how you're going forward and then you take employee groups start to get a level of understanding about what their health awareness is what their challenges are and what their problems are because for the employees they don't just want to think that you're coming in and saying oh you need to sleep more you need to eat better you need to move more They actually want you to sit down and listen and say, you know what? I work in this industry every day. These are my challenges. These are my problems. This is what drains me at work. So you start to work on more of a scale. It's really, it's a a personalized service. So I'm not coming in and saying, this is my program here. Watch this, right? Taking the money, walking out. So I can work with companies for three or four months. What obviously my job is, is to get them to a point where they've got the communities built. They've got strategies in place things are embedded in the processes. So that momentum continues when I leave and that takes, it takes quite a bit of work, but it's incredibly fulfilling because then then companies really launch and push on mm-hmm. and you know, you stay in contact with them. I'm not the kind of consultant who's like, okay, so I'm going to come back in again and make some more money because I've got a bigger mission to impact a lot of people. And that actually requires me to get the job done and move on, mm-hmm. make difference somewhere else. And I do a bit of individual work as well. So I do a bit of individual coaching on a similar process, help people find the purpose, help them get more energy through optimizing, look at the limiting beliefs and start to break them down and help them build the path up their mountain, where they're going, make sure they're aligned, they're supported along the way. And that as well, I only take a few clients on at a time and that's great because it gives me just something else that's a bit more personal mm-hmm. and even more fulfillment for the journey. So Yeah it's really enjoyable and making a difference and making an impact. It's just, it's the way for me to give back given all that I've been through, but all the help that I've had along the way.
0: Do you find, um, do you find some resistance from some of the employees when you go into the companies, then you can say, well, Hey, I'm going to come and make your life better. And they go, no, you're not. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, How do you overcome that? Cause I can imagine that a lot of people are, are all open when they're asking for it, but when you get, <laughs> get it thrust upon you. Humans are funny are funny creatures at times, right? Even if it's for your own good.
1: Yeah. So that, that's where having the, having the cultural change from the leadership comes in. Mm-hmm. Because when the, when the leaders are walking the walk and talking the talk, it actually depends. Are they actually doing it? Mm-hmm. Because the employees are more likely to get in there. If they see the company is actually on board with it, but also that that it's not just them, it's everyone else. And in some ways you're working on social dynamics to drag 90% of a tribe and the other 10% are drag kicking and screaming. Cause there's always people in a company who are like the person least engaged. It's like the, the old school well-being, you know, the yoga classes and the fruit ball and the mm-hmm. massage in a crusty back room. Well, that's great for like Jane who loves fruit and already does yoga. She's getting a free session. Like, yeah. But, but, but like, but like <laughs> Phil in the corner, Mm-hmm. who needs this kind of thing he's like he's like six stone all the way and he's feeling a bit gray well, he's not going to go and put his spandex on is he he doesn't he's not he's not going he to eat from the fruit bowl he don't like fruit he's going to go up vending machine instead and it's just like you have to work it on getting the least engaged engaged and that means taking the majority of people through and getting them on board with it but then going to the people who are struggling to be engaged and just actually being there and listening you have to take a bit of time to listen. What are their challenges? How do they feel about it? And sometimes it only takes a 30 minute conversation. And yeah, it, sometimes it can bode the question well, oh, you know, you, you spent 30 minutes talking to him and you've spent five minutes talking to me. Is that fair? But it's about really helping those who are resistant. Or those, because every, you, go, you go into every company and there's always one person who everyone says, oh, they're a mood hoover. They're always coming. They're grumpy. They don't speak to anyone. They bring the office down. And again, it's not for me to say that you need to change. People change themselves. People have already got it all inside themselves. But if I can do and open up the debate, open and honestly with them and say, you know, this is what I, this is what, this is what I can do for you. You've got, you've got it all inside you. You can do it. If you don't want to engage, that's fair enough, but expect your employees to start taking a step up and they'll start performing higher. You don't want to be the anomaly. You don't want to be the one who's falling behind. And this is kind of what I do. You have to say that in a pleasant way without hurting people's feelings and without putting people on the spot, but say that I'm here to make a difference to the company, to make them care more about you. not here to tell you what to do.
0: Very good. How do you how do you how do you help somebody really change that mindset? If you if you are let's say you are you might be a bit defeatist or negative and I think how how do you was how do you plant that seed initially? Any advice for somebody who maybe consciously feels oh I can never seem to get myself in the right frame of mind. Any advice for those people?
1: Yeah, so I think if they've been listening to this They'll listen to my journey. So I quite often use my journey to frame the fact that you can go through real suffering and get real growth. So kind of build on that basis where you build rapport with people over the fact that, no, I'm not perfect. No, I've had my own challenges. And at no point am I going to be able to say, I get it spot on every time because I'm not. And that open and vulnerability opens people up a bit. Then you can it works in kind of two ways from there. You help them understand that it only takes the smallest changes to make a big difference over time and helping people understand that if you're building those habits and it's only tiny little things, maybe it's parking a little bit further away. Maybe it's using the steps instead of the lift that bakes in a bit of movement. Maybe it's just changing one meal every day, changing what you have for breakfast, missing one brew out, it's looking at it's looking at it in terms of it's not massive change that's needed to help you move forward it's little changes in lots of different things they compound together really quickly so you kind of help people understand that some people are really visual so i can use video to show them the compounding factor some people are really you know audio based and it's looking at people's learning styles how people take on information and tailoring it slightly Some people are more touchy-feely and they want to, they want you to use language that helps them imagine they're there and walk them through so they can visualize themselves changing. And then sometimes you actually got to be quite, you know, quite stark and say, this is the reality if you undersleep. sleep. Look, show them the actual health outcomes of people, what actually happens. And that kind of swing between, you know, I'm vulnerable with you. It only takes a little bit to change. But if you don't change, this is, what, this is what might happen. And it gradually kind of shocks people out of the patterns that they're in, mm-hmm. into being open to kind of work on a bit of a new pattern. And again, what's funny is you would think that it takes a few people in the office to stop change by being that mood hoover, being, by being that victim. It actually happens in the opposite if you take the correct approach. A few people take it on really passionately and then they start to build a community within the business that keeps the topic there. It keeps it fresh. They start to build strategies. If you take the traditional route of let's train a mental health first aider or a wellbeing champion, that's usually one person who's already got a full-time job and then suddenly got 12 people at the desk saying, ah, I'm depressed. I'm not happy. I'm stressed. What can I do? And that's not making lasting change. needs to come from within the company and people actually build a little community where they're like right we're going to set these things up so people can do them and that's about breeding change internally the leadership start thinking like that and it spreads and then really it's my job to help build them onboarding processes so new people coming in know how it works they pull change from within too and it's that kind of if you're looking at a whole model if you're making change from the top change from the sides and change coming in from the bottom. You highly like to get something sticking and get some momentum.
0: Amazing. Well, the time has absolutely flown by, uh, Lee has mm. been incredibly fascinating. So where can people find you if they want to, if they want to change themselves, change, change their organization, where can people get hold of you?
1: So you can find me at leechambers.org, or at essentialized.co.uk and at Essentialize on Twitter.
0: Brilliant. And we'll uh, make sure we've got all of all the links to everywhere people can find you uh, when we when we put this out. Super brilliant. Lee, it's been amazing. Great to meet you and really interesting to hear your story. Uh, And I hope a lot of people get a lot out of that.
1: Yeah, me too. It's been a privilege, guys. Lovely. Cheers, Lee. Cheers, Lee. Thank you.